Dear friends in Christ, you are at a play, and Act 1 and Act 2 are done. The intermission's done, and you come back to your seat, and the lights go down. And you think for just a moment about what you've seen already, the first two acts. And in God's story, God's action in this world, we think about that that first act that we talked about two Sundays ago, when there was that interaction between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit long before even the beginning of creation. There was a fellowship. There was a relationship. And God brought that feeling of relationship into his creation as he made man and woman to be in relationship. And not only between man and woman, but he wants to have a personal and intimate relationship with his people. That was a part of all that took place even before the time of creation. And then last week, Pastor Kurt talked about Act 2, which was the entrance of evil among the heavenly beings and the rebellion by Satan. It all began in darkness then. And here's where Act 3 begins. Genesis 1-2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You get kind of a feeling of that, that darkness and quietness. But then in that hush and in that darkness, it's kind of like those moments just before a movie is going to begin and you're sitting there waiting for the movie in the darkness. All of a sudden, a voice speaks. In the darkness, something is happening. It's the first day of creation. And suddenly that voice does break the silence. And there, all of a sudden, is light. And another word is spoken. And there appears the heavens and the earth, the land and the seas. And then comes the plants and all the animals. Creation kind of unfolds like a flower. And with this unfolding, it's like an art form. It is unfolding with intricacy and form and color, and God's personality is being woven into his creation. And it's like there is a building of a crescendo, just like at the end of a, of a song the choir sings. There is a high point, and then all of a sudden something astonishing takes place, which is the crescendo. And we read about that in Genesis 1.26 where God says, and we hear these words, and God created a human in his image. And in the image of God, he created a male and female, he created him. The high point of creation. In Psalm 8, we hear these words, for you made us only a little lower than God, and you crowned us with glory and honor. Humans were fearfully and wonderfully made. John Eldridge, in the book, The Epic, mentions about this point in time in creation where he writes, I dare say that we've heard a lot about original sin, but maybe not enough about original glory. 
which comes before sin and is deeper to our nature. You see, we as human beings were crowned with glory and honor. Why does a woman long to be beautiful? Why does a man hope to be found brave? Because we remember, if only faintly, that we were once more than we are now. You see, God created us in his image with powers like his own, like reason and, and, and sharing intimacy and sharing joy and so on. And he gives us laughter and wonder and imagination. And above all else, he endows us with one quality that, that, is, that is most important, that he is best known for. He enables us as human beings to love. He gives us the greatest treasure of all creation, and that is a heart. To share in this sacred intimacy, to be in relationship with the God of the universe, isn't that something? You could not live or love or laugh or cry if you didn't have a heart. Remember what the tin man on the Wizard of Oz wanted most of all? A heart, because he didn't think he could, he could really fully live until he had his heart. But with this heart that God has put within each of us, there is something really staggering that we have to think about this morning. And that is, when God created you with a heart, he gave you then freedom to reject him. He gives each of us our own will, you see. So why in the world did he do that? Well, the answer is simple and it's staggering. If you want a world where love is real, then you must allow each person the freedom to choose. We know we cannot force anybody to love us, and God didn't want to force us to love him at all. God gives us the freedom to choose for or against him. God cares, you see, so much for our happiness that he endows us with the capability to love and to be loved. He doesn't force that love upon us. You see, God said, I've, I've given you the entire world for your joy. I have given you love and romance and friendship. But on one matter you must trust me. Trust that my heart for you is good, that I am withholding one thing for an important reason. Do not eat of the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said to Adam and Eve, or you will surely die. And this is where our story today takes a tragic turn. Satan, who had rebelled against his creator and led that great battle against the forces of heaven and was cast down, did not give up. Eldritch writes these words. He says, Banish but not destroyed, Satan waited in the shadows for an opportune time to take his revenge. He says, you must understand, the evil one hates God and hates anything that reminds him of the glory of God, wherever it exists. 
So unable to overthrow the mighty one in heaven, he turns his sights on those, those who bore his image, you and I. Satan has his eye on us. He doesn't have the power to overcome God. But now he comes to tempt us. And Satan comes into the garden and he whispers to Adam and Eve and to all of us, you really can't trust God's word, can you? He's holding out on you. Take matters back into your own hands. And so he sowed the seed of mistrust and and he tempted us to take control of our lives. You know, it's the same lie that we all deal with even in our day. Satan comes to us and he tempts us and he says to us, trusting God is really too risky. Rewrite your story. Give yourself a better part in that story. Arrange for your own happiness. Disregard what God wants because you know better anyway. So the evil one lied to us about what true life is all about. And we believed him. We believed him. And we sinned. God gave us this wondrous world to live in. And he told us to enjoy it freely and fully. Yet despite this extravagant generosity, we had to reach for that one forbidden thing that he said not to touch. You know, when that happened, our glory that we were created with began to fade, and we fell from grace. And we see that kind of thing happening in so many movies. Uh, as, as we look at the great classic movies uh, over these last years, we can see signs of this same pattern from God's story. And you wonder where they get it. It's from God's story. In movies like Lion and Witch in the Wardrobe, Edmund is uh, betraying his brothers and sisters and all Narnia, and he joins joins forces with the the white witch. In the Titanic, the ship, what happens? It strikes an iceberg, and everything changes. Darth Vader just about has the universe under his control in the movie Star Wars. We have failed when it comes to the most important virtue of all. We have failed, you see, to love God and be in relationship with him. And as a result, we have a hard time loving other people in a perfect way because of our self-centeredness. Evil has its sway with us. And we see that happening in our lives, in the world today, and in the movies that we watch. But consider this. Every great story, every classic movie has a rescue. Jack will come and rescue Rose in the Titanic movie. Luke Skywalker will rescue the princess and all the people from Darth Vader. Aslan comes to rescue Narnia. Now, why does every story have a great rescue? Well, because yours does too, and mine does too. God did not abandon Adam and Eve, and he doesn't abandon you and I in the midst of our, of our failure and our sin. 
You see, rescue is in God's plan. First with Noah, think about that rescue. Then about Abraham, and then with the whole nation of Israel, he's a God of rescue. You see God looking over the centuries for a people who will turn their hearts back to him. But rescuing the human heart is a really tough thing to do. It's a hard mission. You see, the evil one has no intention of letting his captives walk away scot-free. He deceives and he assaults us, whatever it takes to keep us in the darkness. Eldritch writes, The challenge God faces is rescuing a people who have no idea how captive they are, no real idea how desperate they are. We know we long for Eden, but we hesitate to give ourselves back to God in total trust. We are captivated, you see, by the lies of the enemy, he writes. But God has something up his sleeve. God himself, the king of the universe, takes on human flesh and enters the story as one of us. And he sets aside his glory and clothes himself with humility and sneaks into the enemy camp to whisper words of love to his own. And he says, I have come for you. We hear similar words in our gospel text today when Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Those are words of love from God's heart to our hearts. God created us in freedom to be his children, and he's not going to give up on us. He's not going to let Satan have his way. Listen to God's words in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, our first lesson of the day. He says, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, and they will return to me with all their heart. Isn't that good news? God's not going to give up on us, and he sees a time when we will return to him with all our hearts. It's the most beautiful of all love stories. Some of the greatest love stories that we have seen in movies don't compare at all to the great love story between God and his people. God will not give up on us. But the king, but the king does have to pay a pretty high price to have that relationship again with us. Have you noticed the, the many of the great classic stories the hero must often die for the freedom of his beloved. He gave his life willingly to ransom us from the evil one. You know, he had to pay for our betrayal and to prove for all time and beyond a shadow of a doubt that the heart of God is good and that, his, that our hearts matter to him. Our lesson today says from Colossians, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God has rescued us. 
All the great movies and books of all time have a rescuer. It is based on the great rescuer who came to die on the cross for us. Think of the movies that you know. A hero and lover, Jack in the Titanic, lays down his life for his beloved Rose. That's the secret, uh, writers have said, of the popularity of that movie, Titanic, the biggest box office hit in the history of the world. That a rescuer came for his beloved and gives up his life for her. Aslan dies on the stone table for the traitor Edmund and for all of Narnia and the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. You see, these are pictures of an even greater sacrifice that took place 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. And Matthew reminds us of that where he, he says, The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. A price had to be paid for our sin, for the great rescue of mankind. You know, in the Titanic, when Rose finishes telling her tale, she pauses for a moment and adds one thing. Jack, save me. In every way a person can be saved. Remember that part of it? When we were lost in the sea of sin and drowning, God, through his Son, our Savior, came to rescue us out of those terrible icy waters, and he saved us. When we were lost, he came to us because his heart is that kind of heart. He reaches out to us in love as no one else can. Christ has come to save us in every way a person can be saved. And he continues to this day and will continue in the future to rescue us when we lose our way. May you always know that wondrous love that Christ came to give you and me. Amen.